Well, hello, this is Joel Johnson with the Rainmaker Evolution, and you are listening to another podcast, and this is going to be an interesting one. I'm going to talk to a good friend of mine up in Chicago named Jim Dishert, who most of you already know, um, runs a very successful and uh, awesome firm up there in the Chicago area, does different ways of marketing, just like we do here in Connecticut, and we're going to have a nice discussion over different ways of marketing, how to track numbers, how to approach your numbers, when to feel good about something you're doing, when to feel bad, different metrics to measure, things like that. And we're just going to have an open discussion here and see how this goes. Before we get started, I just want to do a little legal disclaimer, of course. And this is um, very, very important. First of all, I am licensed as a securities professional. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm a registered investment advisor. I'm an investment advisor representative under my own RIA as well as insurance licensed in a number of different states. Uh, Jim, you are also securities and insurance licensed, correct? That is correct. And so anything we say on this program, uh, you guys listening are responsible for your own compliance. You need to run it through your broker-dealer if you have one. You need to run it by your compliance people if you're an RIA. You need to make sure it doesn't conflict with any policies of any insurance companies that you do business with, and uh, certainly any of your state uh, insurance departments. You guys are responsible for your own compliance. Um, You cannot come back to us if you get in trouble for something and say, these guys told me to do it this way because we're telling you at the beginning of this podcast that you're responsible for your own compliance. With that said, um, I think this is a really, really good topic we're going to talk about today because... One of the things that happens when we get in groups and we, and we share our numbers and we share different marketing channels and so on is it's really, really hard sometimes to have conversations with people because some people just say, well, I'm doing really good at my workshops, but then they don't track their numbers. So you really don't know if they're doing good. Um, and so I would encourage all of you to keep your numbers. The second thing we say is some, somebody will say, well, I get a 7 to 1 rate of return on every dollar I spend or I get a 3 to 1 rate of return on every dollar I spend and and it's hard to know you know what's a good metric when am I doing well enough to feel good about what I'm doing uh, well when am I doing uh, poorly when should I stop a marketing channel and so on so I thought what we do on this podcast is Jim and I are just going to talk through different workshop ch- or different marketing channels and have a, just a good conversation. We'll compare uh, his numbers to my numbers and uh, what's happening. We'll just ask questions and have a nice free-flowing discussion, and I hope this will be helpful for everybody in the Rainmaker Evolution group. So um, with that said, so uh, Jim, uh, why don't we talk a little bit first about dinner seminars? Um, you do dinner seminars, and I do dinner seminars. And last year, um, we did an, a number of dinner seminars, and uh, you, did, you didn't do that many. Your main marketing channel was radio, but let's talk about your dinner seminars a little bit. We can talk about how many you did, how many leads you got, and let's start with that. So how many dinner seminars did you actually do last year, Jim? Uh, last year, we actually only did two nights uh, of dinner seminars. As we were trying to to outline our marketing, our focus, you know, was geared towards radio. As you know, in big markets, marketing on radio can be expensive. So we focused on radio versus the dinner seminars. But with the two nights that we did do, we generated 30 leads. 
So those 30 leads, were those people that showed up, were those households that showed up, just so, so we're all talking about the same thing here? Were those 30 yeah, no, people we, or yeah, were those we 30 households? households? So those were 30 households. Okay, great. Had. So 30 households, that's two pretty good seminars. So you might have had, you might have had 20 people at each or, or, or 25 people at each, but you had 30 households. And so about a third of those booked, so you had about nine that booked appointments. How did you feel about that number, about a third of the people that showed up booked appointments at the seminar? Um, not, you know, not good. And I, as after going through the, the initial, um, small group, um, and listening to your presentation in how you present, um, I, I also didn't go in with an agenda. I don't have a PowerPoint. What struck me, uh, that I needed to change immediately when we start back on the seminar circuit is the opening and the close. Uh, so I know for a fact that, um, you know, we'll be able to, to do better than what the 30% is that, that we've had. Um, then, you know, the one advantage, or I guess the one positive on the 30% is that, so of the nine that booked, eight of them actually completed their appointment. Right, which is a really high number. So, so what we're talking about here, folks, is so Jim, Jim had 30 households show up at a seminar. And and by the way, now this is a very small sample size, so we have to always we have to also be careful that we have a very small sample size uh, here, and and you can't glean too much from a small sample size. But I think it's just good for the purpose of our discussion today. I was talking to a friend of mine up in Boston that did I think uh, eight dinner seminars last year, and even that is a very small sample size. Until you're doing enough and you're coming back to the same location several times and you have at least two or three events at that same location, so you can at least deal with at least 50 households or 60 households per location. Very hard to do, make decisions going forward on whether you have the right location, whether your invitation is right, and so on. So we want to be careful about that. But with that said, so Jim, you had a third of the people book that came in, and almost every one of them kept appointments, which is pretty awesome. Uh, our numbers from last year of all the households that uh, that we talked to, um, we had uh, a thousand. We had we had sixteen hundred households show up for our seminars, and a thousand of them scheduled appointments. So that's about sixty four percent. So we were twice as effective. With the, with the numbers in getting the appointments. But again, what I would say is when you're looking at a small sample size like Jim's here, folks, uh, you know, that's a real small sample size to decide whether he's being effective or not. And he's already says that he's picked up some, some tips. Now, our appointments, when we schedule them, only 70% of our appointments actually show up. So we're scheduling a bunch at the workshop, but some are dropping off. We don't put a lot of time and money into chasing those people. We give them three opportunities to reschedule. Um, but he is keeping almost 90% of the people that booked at the seminar. We're only keeping 70%. So already there's a distinction there. He's not booking as many, but he's keeping more, which could say a couple things. It could say that maybe he's not closing hard enough, but it also says that of the people that are setting at it, uh, at the workshop that they feel a really strong connection and they're fulfilling keeping that appointment because there will be a drop-off. Everybody has a drop-off with the number of people that book at the workshop and the people that actually show up, no matter how many times you call them, no matter how many times you send them a nice thank you card or a confirmation letter or whatever, there just is going to be a drop-off. Now, the next line, Jim, you have is you have how many of those eight people, 
So we had households showing up, 30% of the households scheduled appointments, 90% of the people that scheduled appointments kept their appointments, and of those people that showed up for appointments, 25% became clients, which is a really good number. So talk a little bit about that, Jim, and how you feel about that number and, um, and, and so on. Yeah, so we uh, of the of the eight that completed, you know, we we picked up two clients from it. Um, obviously, volume can can correct some of that, but the closing percent. As you look at the the marketing app, there are places that you can look to tweak. You can tweak through volume, or you can tweak through you know your closing percentages to make it more effective. The ROI on the marketing was is much lower than than what I would like it to be. But from a closing percentage, it's pretty much in line for where everything else is from our total effort. Um, obviously, we'd like to have it a little bit higher, uh, but you know, from, from the small sample size that it is, uh, relatively speaking, it's, you know, it's in line with everything else that we do. Yeah, and you have to be careful, again, on a small sample size, but you know, we have a very large sample size. We have 1,000 appointments that we uh, scheduled. 717 showed up. And 155 became clients, which is 21.5%. Let's just call it 22%. So 22% of the people that showed up in our office from workshops became clients. Well, Jim's running at 25%. So I guess what I want you to understand here as you listen to this is that 20 to 30% number, that can your numbers can work at that 20 to 30% number. And, you know, Jim doesn't have the economy scale working for him, so he's not quite as profitable for a client. But part of that's just a function of just doing some more seminars. But if you can convert, if you have people showing up in your office for appointments, and you can convert one out of five, uh, which would be 20% conversion, uh, one out of four, which would be 25% conversion, one out of three would be 33%. But even at a one out of five uh, level, at a business our size, we're converting 21%, 20 one and a half percent so you know just a little bit better than one out of five uh, working a, we're making a very nice profit on the clients now when we break when we look at Jim's number farther across the workshop line you know his, his number starts to skew a little bit because we've got such a small sample size so the, the the invitations are kind of more per person that showed up and the workshops uh, the, the, the meals and so on and so forth but the bottom line is he's still making a profit doing the workshops. What you want to do in this business is you want to make enough of a profit to uh, acquire the client that you've you've got a nice little bit of a profit margin to acquire the client, but then hopefully in the relationship that you've now established with the people that become clients in year two and year three, there's more business that comes from that client. And of course, if we do a good job for those people, they're going to be referring people to us. And that referral is a very low cost client acquisition tool than it is a high cost. So just to, just to recap here, so on Jim's dinner seminars, we had uh, 30% of the people that showed up scheduled appointments, 90% of those people that scheduled appointments showed up, and 25% of them became clients, and Jim was profitable on the people that became clients, which gives them the ability to live to fight another day, to do another workshop, you know, to pay some staff, and get better at this workshop game. And as he does more and more workshops, he'll get better and better at it. He'll find little things that work. He might tweak the time he does the workshop. He might... Uh, uh, change the restaurant a little bit. He might be doing Ruth Chris. We don't do quite that high end of a place. You can get all that 
you know, fine-tune, but the idea is make sure you're profitable and make sure you're profitable enough so you can repeat it over and over again and then begin to tweak and get good at it. Uh, Jim, do you have any other thoughts on that before we move on to another marketing channel? No, I think uh, I think you're dead on, and I think, you know, the thing that I learned, you know, in the in the small group that I think everybody else, at least the people that I've talked to have learned as well is, it is the opening and the close and how you set that stage. So I, I'm, a, I'm encouraged to get back on doing more dinner seminars, and it'll be a bigger part of our practice this year. Yeah, and, and that's great. And I would, I would suggest to everybody listening out there that, you know, when you set up a, a dinner seminar plan for, the, for a 12-month period, you know, set up a plan for 12 months, commit to that 12 months. And if you're going to do one a month, I would try to pick maybe three to four locations and be going back every three to four months in those locations so that when you get to the end of the year, you can look back and you can say, okay, I went to the uh, Carmen Anthony Steakhouse in Hartford, Connecticut for uh, three times this year. And those three invitations that I dropped were nine different nights. And you've got enough of a sample. You've got enough people coming through there where you can start making conclusions from your math. How many did I mail? How many showed up? Of the people that showed up, how many scheduled appointments? Of the people who scheduled appointments, how many kept their appointments? Of the people who kept their appointments, how many became clients? And then what commissions did I earn from those clients? Then you have this, this data that you can begin to make decisions on and say, okay, that was a profitable workshop. And if you can get to three-to-one profitability on workshops, you can make this thing work. Uh, we're higher than that. Uh, many people are higher than we are on that. We were in that small group down there in Dallas, and uh, for heaven's sakes, Mark Lloyd down in Atlanta, he's getting a 7-to-1 rate of return. We're only getting about a 5-to-1 a rate of return on our workshop. So some of you are much more profitable, but I can tell you for many, many years in the growth of our practice, we made it work at a 3-to-1 rate of return on the dollars, but you've got to track the numbers and know the rate of return. Jim, tell me about these college workshops that you're doing. That's something that we're not doing, and I know that a lot of people are having success with those college workshops around the country. Yes, these are um, educational format um, where you're holding basically a, a two-day class um, at a local college, whether it be a community college or a big university. Um, and you're, you're stretching your seminar material really into, into two uh, distinct days. The difference here is that the people that attend actually are paying to attend your seminar. So you're not worried about um, serving food uh, or anything like that. They're there to go through uh, the material that, um, that you have to present. And ultimately, by their attending, they have the opportunity to, uh, to uh, have a one-on-one -on -one appointment with you and, and get more in detail about their specific situation. And so did you do one of those last year, one, one two-night uh, curriculum last year? Am I looking at that, uh, that right? That's correct, yep. Okay. Yep. And, and, and you had how many people come? We actually had uh, five uh, couples uh, show up okay, uh, so for that particular uh, two-day. So you had five people show up, and then did one person, become, one person booked an appointment? That's correct, through last year. Okay, now, and then that are, one was a little bit skewed because because we had uh, we still have uh, three other appointments that are pending because we did this late in the year. 
Oh, okay. So the one person became a client that came in through that workshop, and the the uh, assets that you gathered from that client and the compensation you received from that client were enough to completely offset that whole course and 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 make you a nice okay. profit during that course. Is that is that right? A- absolutely. In fact, it's one of our. Uh, historically, it has been, and this this year it has been as well, uh, one of our higher ROIs on our marketing efforts. So, so here's an example of a program where, if Jim can do this more often and the numbers stay true, this could be a very, very interesting way to to scale up in his marketplace, and maybe when he starts doing more dinner workshops to get a good sample size. So like I said earlier, you know, if he can do one of those a month and he's doing enough per year that he's got a good sample size at the end of a first year and he can look at the profitability of the dinner workshops and then he's doing enough of these college workshops and then you just simply look back and say, okay, which avenue is more profitable? Which can I scale better? Now, you may not be able to scale the college workshops up as much as you can do dinners. In a city like Chicago, my goodness, you could have – you know, associate advisors, and you could probably be doing dinner workshops every night and, you know, run a huge business with associate advisors, maybe doing some of the workshops and so on. You might not have enough colleges to do that. But if you're a person that just wants a nice sized firm that's maybe doing between uh, two to four million a year in revenues with 15 to 20 employees, and uh, you could actually take a college marketing channel, and if you had enough capacity there in the college marketing to do these courses, you could run a great business through that. So this is something that you guys that have this opportunity to do the college marketing program uh, need to investigate. And, and in Jim's case, you know, it's pretty exciting as we look at the numbers that he made enough just bringing on one client uh, from doing that program. He didn't have to buy them dinner. And so and, – and the people are having to pay for the course, and it's not a huge fee, but they're having to pay enough where they take you seriously when they show up. You've got automatic credibility. Um, I'm assuming – I haven't seen it, but I'm assuming the course materials of high quality and everything. You've sort of got this implied endorsement because you're on the college campus uh, teaching the course, and it's a phenomenal marketing channel if you can, uh, if you can scale that up and keep yourself busy enough doing that. Um, and the key with any marketing channel is doing it enough so that when you have one or two that bomb, it doesn't throw you off stride. You don't have to run to the bank or, or whack up a credit card to the max uh, to keep yourself in business. You, you want to be doing things enough so that when you have things go wrong, which they always will, uh, you've got enough rhythm. So you know, if I was doing the college program here in Connecticut, I would want to make sure that I had enough capacity around the state of Connecticut so I could maybe be doing one of those every two months at least – and then I would consider myself, okay, I'm in that business. That's a real marketing channel. We can study some numbers. I can maybe plug some other associate advisors in there so I don't have to be out teaching those courses if I don't want to. And I can create a little business that's my college marketing arm of the business. So, Jim, do you want to comment any more on that? I think that's an exciting area. I've heard a few other guys that are being real successful at that. I know the Heises down in, in the Midwest there are having good luck there, and we've talked with them about them scaling that up a little bit. Yeah, it's one of our goals as well as we look at one of the uh, brilliant uh, items you gave us in the in the small group is uh, write the check to solve it. So we're going to write the check for, for more college workshops this year. Great. Awesome.
So, Jim, let's talk a little bit about referrals. So you've got you've got a number of leads that came in from referrals. Um, as I look at your numbers, and we don't have to get specific on the numbers, but, you know, you had some referrals that came in, 90% of the referrals that came in booked. Um, and every one of those people that booked uh, came in, and every one became a client. So, obviously, anything we can do to get more referrals um, is good. Are you doing anything systematically in your practice to generate referrals right now, Jim? Yeah, we sent out, when we uh, redid our uh, firm brochure, uh, we, we sent out a letter to our uh, a, a and A-plus clients um, introducing our new brochure along with um, a couple extra packets that uh, give, they, give them the opportunity to uh, pass them on to close friends, close family, uh, if finances come up in their conversation. And then we also bring that up in any annual review as well. So the referrals for us are just now starting to grow. In fact, this year already we've had, we've uh, equaled the number of referrals that we've had uh, all of last year. And so that's really starting to uh, gain traction for us and look for it to be a big part of uh, our marketing on a go forward. The one thing that I will also add with the referrals is that we'll, we've got on the calendar uh, four uh, referral events for our clients this year, which is a uh, new avenue for us as well. I've just seen too many other advisors uh, have success with those referral events for us to not do it. Yeah, I think you know with referrals, what we've found here is that uh, we want to create a culture of referrals. And uh, what we've done here, which many advisors, of course, across the country are doing, is we have a nice little package. You can call it your shock and awe package or whatnot, which is just a nice brochure. It's got a consumer's guide to finding the right advice givers. Um, Obviously, AE can put that together for you, and it's all compliance uh, scrubbed and so on. Um, We put a copy of our book in there. Uh, we hand it to new clients. We hand the clients on reviews and say, hey, uh, we don't want you to do a sa- – we, we'll say to the client, we don't want you to do a sales job for us, but if you have friends um, that may be looking for financial help coming up on retirement or they're retiring, you're not sure if they're working with a financial advisor, just hand them this package and say, hey, this is a nice little resource guide for you. Um, these are the folks that we know and that, uh, that we work with. And um, e- e- they can just hand it to their friends, and then if those people initiate a phone call, great. Um, we don't have a – a super hard-nosed, systematic spreadsheet kind of a process to follow those things around. We just give a heck of a lot of them out. We also send out kind of a, a funny postcard every month. Um, we had a, a copywriter for an ad agency in town sort of write these little funny postcards for us, um, and they'll have a little cartoon on the front when you get it in the mail, and it'll say, you know, it'll have a couple sitting on a ledge saying, uh, ah, well, the market was down last month. Marge, should we jump or not? And then they flip it over, and, and it says, um, you know, if you have friends that, uh, that are uh, concerned about their financial security, uh, maybe they should be working with people like us. And, and it's just kind of a nice way of reminding your clients that you appreciate referrals. So anything you can do like that to give referrals, you have to be very careful about rewarding your clients for referrals uh, because in certain states, and if you're a registered investment advisor or insurance agent, there are very strict rules about rewarding clients for referrals. So we'll leave that up to you to figure out if you can do that or not. But you want to create a culture of referrals where you're appreciating people for referring people to you. And you're thanking your clients when they introduce you to people, whether the people become a client or not. And one thing that we've also find helpful is if somebody comes in, you know, somebody came into my office this morning, there were a referral from 
uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, um, if I just take a moment and call Mr. and Mrs. Smith and say, hey, I just want to let you know that your friends Diane and Bob came in this morning. You introduced them for us, and I can't really get into their personal finances because that's confidential, but we just really appreciate you thinking uh, enough of us to introduce us to them, and we promise that we'll, uh, we'll treat them as their family and so on. So just also always be quick to thank. People don't really care that you know, somebody, they referred somebody to you and they became a client. They just care that you know enough to thank them. So have something systematic enough. It doesn't have to be regimented. It doesn't have to be something where you create spreadsheets and process maps and all this other nonsense. But just have a culture of referrals and something that's systematic, and you'll see re- your referrals grow. And like Jim's numbers I'm looking at on this sheet, I mean, my goodness, you know, everybody that came in for an appointment became a client. We don't have those kind of numbers. We, we get about half of the people that come in for referrals become clients. So, uh, But you can see how powerful that is. And, of course, your marketing costs are very low on that because you don't have to send out a direct mail piece. You don't have to buy a meal or rent a room or anything like that. Okay, uh, Jim, let's talk a little bit about radio. You are a big radio yeah. guy. And uh, you're doing a lot of radio. You're in a much larger market than I am, which means it's much more expensive. And that's a good and a bad. Um, The bad is it's much more expensive. The good is you've got much bigger population to reach. The bad is there's probably more competition. Um, But the good is, again, you could could really scale that up if you can get the science of getting it. So let's just talk a little bit about radio. How do you feel about your radio efforts? What are the areas that you feel good about? What are the areas that are frustrating you in your radio efforts? I think one of the things that uh, I've uh, contemplated um, as to whether or not we should have uh, live answers to when they call in. Our show is, is on Sunday afternoon. Uh, currently, we're doing um, the, the the voicemail. Leave a message, and we'll contact you on Monday morning. You know, we spend all of these dollars uh, so that you know to get them to call the phone, and, and we have a big drop off. You know, we're only booking about 43 percent of our radio appointments. So I look for an improvement there. Uh, and the first question I have is whether or not we should uh, spend the dollar call center uh, to at least get them to talk to somebody live, you know, with, with the volume of calls that we, that we were having. Well, that's a great question, Jim. So the question you asked is, you know, you're, you're making this call to action on the radio. And what we want to make sure with radio is we want to make sure that a couple things that I talked about in small groups is one is make sure your offer is clear and that you're making one offer. So I make one offer to call to come in for your Money Map Retirement Review. I make one offer to come in for that first appointment. I'm not making an offer for a book or an appointment. I'm not making an offer for a Social Security report or a book. I'm making one offer for one thing. So make sure your offer is clear, that's concise, that you're giving the phone number out enough times, that you're saying it enough times, and that you're talking about the benefit that will people get will get when they come in to see you, whether they become a client or not. So make sure you're making a good offer. And then if you make that offer and you're getting the phone to ring, then there's a couple other questions that get asked. Number one, what's the experience of that person when they call? Uh, For us, we use a service, and so people are calling. They use a service called Ring Central, which Coach Pete's people set up for us. So we we use the Coach Pete folks to to produce our program. 
and um, they set that up for us. And when people call the 800 number, it doesn't even really ring. It immediately goes to my voice, and it says something like, Hi, this is Joel Johnson. Thank you so much for listening to the Money Wisdom Radio program. I look forward to meeting with you. Me and my team uh, are, are excited to be able to help you in any way we can. Please leave your name. Leave a daytime phone number. Your cell number would be best, and we will call you back to set up a time for you to get your Money Map Retirement Review. So make sure you leave uh, more than one phone number and certainly your cell phone number so that we can reach you. Um, we're going to be calling you, and we'll set up a time to visit with you. And that's what they get from us. And so when they get that, what happens is we'll get, of the calls that we get uh, that call in, 67% schedule appointments. Now, Jim's calls, Jim is calling, and only 42% are scheduling appointments. And he's talking about whether he should use a live service uh, or even have his people pick up the phone. So you, you have a number of options. You can have them go to a recording like I do. You can have a service pick up the phone, and you script them on how to how to talk to the people. And then you can call the people back. You can have the service pick up the phone and you script them on how to talk to people and schedule the appointment, which adds a little bit of complexity there because now the service has to understand your calendaring system. Or you could have your own people pick up the phone. I don't really care what option you use, and I'm not here to argue which option is better or not. We have tried to call people back right away. Um, I have... I'm very concerned with my appointment setters getting burned out because the same people that are calling from our radio back from our radio program are also doing the workshops. So I don't want them getting burned out. So I'm a little sensitive about them working over the weekend. But in Jim's case, he's only booking 42% of the calls that come in. And so we've got to do something there to tweak that number. Now, it could be his offer. His offer might not be strong enough um, that that they're really getting good calls and they're excited about the call and they might be their enthusiasm may be waning by the time he's calling them back. We don't know, but what we do know is you want to capture more than fifty percent. You want to be converting of the people that pick up the phone and call. You want to be getting at least half of them to schedule appointments. Not all of them will show up, but at least half of them to schedule appointments. So, Jim, so you're talking about you're you're doing some things there to to experiment to find out what can you do differently to capture more of those, those leads, correct? Absolutely. Just need to make sure we improve upon that number because the at the end of the day, the volume uh, of appointments will uh, help flush out dollars at the end. Exactly. And the more you can improve your offer, the more you can um, get that phone to ring. But, boy, I was talking to John Stillman uh, with Coach Pete's people um, when we uh, when we did our last show, and I, 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 we recorded our show, and I said to him at the end of the show, man, that was really good radio. I'm excited. And sure enough, the weekend comes around, and pff, half the calls we normally get, people just didn't call. You know, what is it? Is it something I said? Do I have no idea what's a good show? Is it Was it because it was Passover? And so people, who knows? Who knows? You just don't really know. But that's why you want to be doing all these marketing activities enough so that you find out. Now, Jim, so of the people that you booked to come in for the radio, you had a really good show up rate. 62% of the people showed up. And uh, that is uh, not quite as good as ours, but I think that's an acceptable level. We'd like to have that a little higher. But you did have a decent amount of those people that actually booked appointments to show up um, for the appointments. 
Yes, and again, as we look at you know benchmarks and, and having a point of comparison, in looking at your numbers in, in comparison to ours, that's an area that we identified as uh, an area for improvement. So not only the volume of appointments that we book, but also the volume that show up. Um, and it's a matter, uh, one of the things that we have tweaked uh, is getting that shock and awe kit out uh, immediately. We had been waiting until they had actually booked an appointment, uh, and now they go out uh, the day that, uh, on Monday. So that was one of the tweaks that we, that we did make, and I think that will have a positive impact on uh, the percent of people that, that ultimately keep their appointment. Excellent. Let me say one other thing, too, also, when you have people calling in, uh, uh, responding to a, some kind of a direct response offer, there's something called, in the land of uh, direct response marketing, is there's something called losing the customer in the shopping cart. And what losing the customer in the shopping cart is, is somebody sees an offer, whether it's online or they pick up the phone, they see an infomercial on TV, and, and they respond to the offer and they get into the shopping cart. So think of this online. You see an offer online, you click here to order. Then you're in the shopping cart screen. If the shopping cart screen has too much information is asking to, you might scare your customers away. So a little thing in direct response marketing is you want to ask for as little information as possible to get the people engaged. So an example of this would be if I offer somebody a free book on my website and they click on a button, and then in order to get the free book, all they have to do is put their first name and their email address, and I email them the book, that's a real low barrier to entry. Everybody feels comfortable with that. If I ask them to leave their first name, their last name, their address, their daytime phone number, their evening phone number, their email address, and the birth year uh, of their first four children, and when they graduated from high school, they're going to be scared to death and they're going to back out of my shopping cart. So you have to find the right balance when you're getting people engaged in an offer to leave information very easily. If there's a way you can get name, address, phone number in a very non-threatening way, that's great. But be careful about asking for too much information. We live in a world where we want them face-to-face -face in a meeting because that's how they're going to have a client. And you want to make the barriers to, be, to have that face-to-face -face meeting as low as possible. So be real careful. Don't analyze your offers that you make. Analyze the information that you're asking for. Analyze when your appointment setters call people to set an appointment from radio or something, um, that they're not uh, coming off like they're interrogating the client because people will get scared. And even if they book the appointment, they might end up trying to figure out a way to cancel the appointment. You won't even know what happened. It's just a subconscious thing that happens with people in direct marketing. So that's real important to remember. So, Jim, tell me a little bit more. These radio leads come in. Do you feel that the quality of your radio lead overall is better than your workshop lead? Even though you didn't do too many workshops, so we want to be careful about, you know, we want to be careful about assuming too much on the workshops because you didn't do a whole lot of workshops last year. But do you feel it just general gut feel? Do you feel like the radio lead that shows up in your office is a little bit more interested than the workshop lead? I think so, and this kind of brings up a uh, good opportunity for, for me to ask a question, too, because one of the things that differs between our two programs um, is the offer. Um, our offer right now is at 500000 and what I look at is, should I lower that down to the 250? Does that give us an opportunity to 
uh, book more appointments, have more of those appointments show up, uh, versus the level that we're at right now at the 500,000. Um, we had um, of the 318 uh, people that called the show last year, that, that represented about $162 million worth of assets. Mm -hmm. And our sales cycle tends to be a little bit longer than I think what most people may experience. Uh, I think, and the part of that is just doing, due to the volume of the assets that we see or the higher end of those clients that we see. So, you know, my question to you is, is um, should we take that into consideration? Because one of the things that you look at is if it's not broken, don't mess with it. So what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, I say 250000 So when, when I call, I, I have my script right here as we record this podcast. It's right across the desk from me. And I say uh, for the first 15 callers that have at least $250,000 saved for retirement, call now. We'd be glad to share this Money Map Retirement Review with you. Um, you will be helped by this, but that doesn't mean you become a client. So if you have $250,000 saved for retirement, call now. So I say that. We don't enforce it. Um, if if my uh, woman calls on Monday and she asks, uh, we do get a little bit of information. We don't really pre-screen the people. I, I, I hesitate to screen people too hard. Um, but if somebody says, well, you know, I've got 200000 saved for retirement, we won't tell them they shouldn't come in. So it's a soft screening. Um, but I would try it, Jim. Uh, I, I think t I think 250 you know, we're in Connecticut. I mean, Connecticut is just as affluent, if not a little bit more affluent than than Chicago. And uh, we're not turning off high, high. You know, let's face it, you're not going to get a $10 million plus net worth person from the radio consistently. Uh, you may once in a while, it's, it might be a fluke, but that level of client is not going to come from the radio. Uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to say to the person that has at least a million or $2 million that we have some kind of a standard. So I think they're going to hear the message that you have a standard, whether it's 250000 or 500000 But we could be profitable at our firm on a $400,000 client. Uh, we can we can do a good job for that person, a better job than the other people that are going to give them the time of day, and we can be profitable with that relationship. That's a meaningful relationship to us, and it's going to be a meaningful relationship uh, to them. So I don't want to exclude them, and I think if somebody's close, they'll still call and come in, and I don't think you're going to turn off a $2 million person by saying 250000 versus 500000 So I would encourage you to try to maybe go down to two fifty. I think it's more the fact that you have something that you're saying more than the number, but I would hate to lose a $350,000 person because you could have a, somebody that worked for a town um, that has Social Security, a nice pension, 300000 saved for retirement that might be a good client for you because they might not need to touch that 300000 You can put it in a nice managed account, maybe a little bit of insurance business if you're licensed that way. That can be a profitable client for you, and it's a good relationship for you. You'd hate to exclude that person, and they wouldn't think of themselves as being wealthy, so they might be turned off. So I would, I would play with a number and maybe lower it a little bit. That would be my opinion. Great. Good. Anything else on the radio piece, Jim, <laughs> that you want to talk or discuss? You know, I think our radio uh, closing ratio sitting at 25%, it, it, you know, it's in line with what the rest of our marketing is. Um, I believe my goal is, as I look at it on a yearly basis, is to, to pick up one client per week based upon the volume of calls. I don't mm -hmm. know, if, uh, you know if it's a realistic number or not, but I think 
you know, we're averaging 8 to 12 calls per week from our show. We're going to look to make a couple tweaks based upon some of the recommendations that you've had, take a real hard look at the offer and see if that can have a positive impact. But I'd like to see that number up a little bit in regards to the percent of people that we're closing and that, and maybe by just lowering by the offer, that that will actually do it. Great. Well, I think this has been a wonderful uh, time, Jim. I wanna I wanna thank you for your time, and I'm so excited to have you in the group. You know, you're the you're the kind of guy that I that I that we want in this group, and um, the rest of you folks listening. You know, let's keep in touch with each other. Let's encourage each other, and also be, you know, if you can find an accountability partner to uh, to kind of bounce ideas back and forth between our meetings, um, that would be very very helpful. We've talked about uh, basically four channels of marketing today. We've talked about dinner seminars. We've talked about doing college-style workshops, which I'm not doing, but I'm excited about doing it, and I'm going to try to figure out how to do it here in my area. We've talked about referrals, and we've talked about radio. Find out what works for you. Do enough in any one area so you can make that decision. Don't do one or two here and there and say they work or they don't work. Or don't say they work because you think they work and you don't have your numbers. Track your numbers, be a good marketer, and then you can begin to do what you're hearing Jim say, which is, hey, I I like our closing ratio from radio. I know we're getting a better client from radio. I can tweak our offer a little bit, and that's when you'll be up and running. And once you know you're getting this 3-to-1, 4-to-1 return on your dollars, then you're making enough profit where you can afford to make some mistakes here and there. You can afford to experiment a little bit. And your firm is profitable enough where you can uh, absorb some mistakes and you can also invest some money in the future. So, Jim, I want to thank you so much for being with me today. Is there anything else you want to say in closing here? No, Joel, I appreciate you uh, having me on. It's uh, as much as it was uh, uh, nice to be on the show. It was a great learning experience as well. So I look forward to our uh, next time together. Well, great, Jim. I appreciate you and I appreciate every one of the rest of you listening to this Rainmaker Evolution Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.